Today, our series in God's kingdom continues uh, as we hear this continuation from last week from Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. As Jesus continued down the road, a man ran up, knelt before him, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to obtain eternal life? Jesus replied, Why do you call me good? No one is good except the one God. You know the commandments. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Don't cheat. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he responded, I've kept all of these things since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him carefully and loved him. He said, you are lacking one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor. Then you will have, great tre- have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But the man was dismayed at this statement and went away saddened because he had many possessions. Looking around, Jesus said to the disciples, it will be very hard for the wealthy to enter God's kingdom. His words startled the disciples, so Jesus told them again, children, it's difficult to enter God's kingdom. It's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter God's kingdom. They were shocked even more and said to each other, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them carefully and said, it's impossible with human beings, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, look, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, I assure you that anyone who has left house, brothers, sister, mother, father, children, or farms because of me and because of the good news will receive 100 times as much now in this life. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and farms with harassment. And in the coming age, eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this man runs up to Jesus, the story tells us. He kneels before him, and he asks him this question, right? Good teacher, what must I do to obtain eternal life? In other words, what do I have to do to to get this thing that you're selling, Jesus? What do I have to, what kind of bargain or transaction do we have to make so I can get this eternal life? Is there something I can offer you? Is there a price that I can pay for it? And if it's about inheriting that eternal life, well, I've kept the commandments just like Moses said to. I've done it. So often, people want to make sure that they have the end game figured out when it comes to the way of Jesus. We have all sorts of ways of asking the rich man's question, what do I have to do to obtain eternal life? Sometimes they sound like this. So if I'm on my deathbed and confess, then that's all I have to do, right? Or if I've done enough good things and not so many bad things, like especially because I haven't killed anyone or cheated on my spouse or anything like that, then I'm in, right? You see, this man wants to ensure that he has, that he possesses eternal life. 
But Jesus, interestingly enough, compared with how we contemporary Christians talk about eternal life, Jesus isn't all that concerned with eternal life in a lot of the New Testament. In fact, this is the only passage in the entire Gospel of Mark where the term eternal life is found. For Jesus, eternal life is a natural outflow of how we are living now. Typically, when we ask the question, how do I get eternal life, or more simply in our parlance, how do I get to heaven? We are wondering, how do we do the bare minimum to receive it? But Jesus doesn't operate like this. For him, eternal life describes the quality of our lives when living in God's kingdom. The values of this kingdom are fit for eternal life. So eternal life is not just a quantity of life describing it's forever versus life just ending when you die. No, eternal life is a quality of life. It values the way of God's kingdom. For this man coming before Jesus, this instance sets up a showdown in his life. And the showdown that we see is consumerism versus God's kingdom. In some ways, we all have this battle internally. After all, we live in a very consumeristic nation and culture far more than this wealthy man did. We are all, all tempted by the lure of consumerism. From an early age, we want this brand of clothing instead of another. We want to shop at this store and not another. We get older and we want this phone and not that one. We want to drive this car and not that five-year-old one. This week, I was thinking about a speech that then-President George W. Bush gave after 9-11. And if you remember this speech and kind of the mentality of the time afterwards, he encouraged Americans to go out and to spend and to, quote, get down to Disney World with your families and enjoy life the way we want it to be enjoyed. Consumer patriotism is what it was called when it was reflected upon. The strategy economically worked. America avoided a major recession after 9-11. But doesn't this tell us something about the world that we live in? That after national and global tragedy, our response to it as a country is to keep consuming. The value of our consumer culture is scarcity. And the value in God's kingdom is abundance. In his book, Being Consumed, ethicist Bill Kavanaugh writes, the economy as it is currently structured would grind to a halt if we ever looked at our stuff and simply declared, it is enough. I am happy with what I have. In a culture marked by scarcity, we hoard. There isn't enough toilet paper and paper towels during a global pandemic. And for some reason... At the first hint that it might snow this year, three or four days before it, there won't be milk or bread in the store, a southern phenomenon I still have not figured out. Now, we have shows, of course, about hoarders, right, who collect weird or disgusting things and can't really move around their homes because there's so much junk in them. But on the whole, many of us are hoarders who believe that there is only so much to go around, so we have to get ours. The value of abundance in God's kingdom is marked by the opposite of hoarding, sharing. In God's kingdom, people ask their neighbors if they have enough toilet paper and share from the 30-pack they bought before this ever got so crazy. People give willingly to those in need 
We get obsessed with trying to change the system so that all can flourish and have opportunity. We start to think more about the people working behind that cash register and drive through window and cleaning our buildings and mowing our lawns and wonder how they can make a living too. Now, Jesus called this man in this instance to sell all of his possessions and give them to the poor. Now, I don't think that he is literally calling every person to this exact same response. He may very well be calling many of us who are Christians in America to that response. But what I think Jesus is especially showing us here is what I would call tailor-made discipleship. Because we are told that Jesus, after dealing with this man, that he looks at him and he loved him. This is the only person in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus said to love. This man says he's kept Jesus' commands, and Jesus looked at him carefully and loved him. In Mark, the only one who Jesus loved. So Jesus is not trying to test this man in his response to him. He's not trying to put him on the spot like he would a Pharisee. He's not even being mean or cruel to him as much as it might come off like that to us. Instead, Jesus is inviting this man into God's kingdom. But it is not easy to enter God's kingdom. For we have to give up control. You see, we want to know what we have to do or to achieve or to pay or to give to obtain eternal life. And Jesus invites us to give up something that we value more than the kingdom so that we can live in God's kingdom. I loved this passage and this story in college. I loved it because I thought it challenged the rich culture that I grew up around, and it was sticking it to the man I thought Jesus is calling every single person to do just this. And it was very easy to think this myself because I was a college kid earning the max of four to $5,000 for a whole summer to last me for the whole school year. This passage didn't call me to do anything. I was off the hook. But Jesus doesn't call every single person to exactly what he called this man to. Rather, he is asking you today what do you obsess over? And that hits us all between the eyes. I want to invite you to sit quietly where you are right now and just consider this question. What do you obsess over more than God's kingdom? What is it for you? Do you love your money and possessions more than God's kingdom? Do you love a sports team or your alma mater more than God's kingdom? 
Do you love status more than God's kingdom? Do you love your job more than God's kingdom? Do you love being entertained more than God's kingdom? Do you love politics more than God's kingdom? Friends, Jesus promises us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But in order to take up that yoke, we've got to let some things go. To follow Jesus into the kingdom, there's a very strict limit on the weight of baggage allowed. What is Jesus calling you to give up today in order to walk into God's kingdom life? Amen.